0: Mmm. There's a question that I get asked a lot, and it's a very simple question, but it's actually really hard for me to answer sometimes. And sometimes when people ask this of me, it's actually kind of paralyzing. And when I tell you what it is, you're going to say, why is that hard to answer? But here's the question. How can I pray for you? Here's why this is challenging, because I start to think about all the things that are happening in my life and in this world, and I'm trying to evaluate, like, like what is my deepest need? You know, I'm not gonna give them a hundred things to pray for, but my mind is just being scattered across all these different needs across my life and the life of people in and around my world. I think about the health issues. And, and we read the prayer requests that come in here. There are so many health issues in my family and families around us, and we pray for those things Because we believe that God has the power and the ability to heal. And so we pray about those things. Are those the deepest needs that I have? I have relational needs. We all have relational needs. Some of you are in this place in life where your marriage is just hanging on by a thread. And you're reaching out, asking to be prayed for. Some of you have relationships with your kids that are broken. Family members that are distant. And you want God to break in because God is someone who wants to reconcile broken relationship. Is that my deepest need? Financial. Has there ever been a time where there have been more financial needs in and around the community of Bozeman? Housing needs. Inflation going through the roof. Gas prices going through the ceiling as well. Financial needs everywhere. Are those my greatest and deepest needs, emotional needs. So many people right now, their emotions are just frayed, mentally tired, just the numbers of people that wrestle with depression and anxiety and burnout, panic attacks, and it is so difficult even to get in to see a counselor in our town. They're just booked out Forever emotional needs are those my deepest needs Vocational needs are jobs For some of you the the problem is I don't have a job and I need one Some of you is my job is difficult My boss is difficult People that I work with are difficult And You know working in a church also can be difficult Did you know? I mean, some of you are thinking, well, you're a pastor. You only work one day a week. How difficult can it be? But we have vocational needs. But what is our deepest need? So you you just sit back and somebody says, how can I pray for you? I feel like, what is the one thing that I'm going to give them? What is the most important thing? I want to throw that question out to you. Not necessarily, how can I pray for you? For you, although I would pray for you, but I wanna ask that question of you What is your deepest need? What would you say? If I could have God do something in and through my life right now, what would be your deepest need? I want you to think about it through another lens. If Jesus were looking down at your life, what would Jesus say? is your greatest need right now. It's interesting, when Jesus was teaching uh, about prayer to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter six, there's an interesting phrase in there when Jesus was talking about needs. He says, the Father knows all of your needs before you ask him. So all of those things that are on the spectrum of things that you could ask God for, that might be your deepest needs, God has that list himself. What do you think is on the top of God's list? If he were stack ranking the needs that you have in your life, what does God think is your deepest need? We're going to look at a story today from the book of Mark. We're going to be in this series all the way up until Easter, and we're going to be looking at these interactions that Jesus has with people, where he's letting them know that I am enough. I am enough for you. And in this story, we're going to see that Jesus is enough to meet our deepest need. But the question is, what is our deepest need? This story that we're going to look at takes place at the very beginning of the book of Mark, Mark chapter 2. Jesus has been on the scene, his ministry has been started, and his, his popularity is spreading. People are hearing and seeing the things that is going on, and crowds are coming to him. But if you know anything about Jesus, you know he, he's not necessarily impressed with crowds. It's not the quantity of the people that moves Jesus' heart. It's the quality of people's response to him. He's looking for people that are all in. That's what we call it around here. People that are going to push all their chips to the middle of the table and say, Jesus, I'm going to drop everything and follow you. My time belongs to you. My talents belong to you. My treasure belongs to you. My plans, I put it all out there for you, Jesus. That's what he was looking for. But even though he was looking for the few that were willing to go all in, the crowds came, all for different kinds of reasons. Some people came because he was bringing teaching that they hadn't heard before. Teaching with a new authority. Some people came because they were, wanted to be healed. He was healing so many people. Some out of curiosity. Sometimes the religious leaders were coming because they wanted to evaluate what Jesus was doing. They wanted to critique what he was doing. All different reasons, but the crowds were coming. And that's the scene that we step into is Jesus teaching in a house. And the crowds are thick. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried... By four of them Since they could not get get him to Jesus because of the crowd They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on When Jesus saw their faith When Jesus saw their faith He said to the paralyzed man Son, your sins are forgiven Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I want us to step back from the story and try to think a little bit about this paralyzed man. What would it have been like for him to be in that condition in the first century? What would it have been like to be in his shoes or maybe even better yet, what would it have been like to be on his mat? That mat, maybe three foot by six foot mat. This was the sole spot of his life. Everything revolved around that mat. He can't do anything for himself. He is completely dependent If he's going to get something to eat, somebody has to feed him. If he's going to get from one place to another, somebody has to carry him. If he's going to change his clothes, somebody has to do it for him. He's got to be moved, rolled all the time throughout the day to keep from getting bed sores all over his body. Somebody has to help him. And just think how maybe humiliating it would be every time You soil yourself. Somebody else has to clean you up. We love our independence. We love being free to do all the things that we want to do. He can do none of that. His whole life is described by absolute dependence on other people. So you ask yourself the question, was there any hope in his heart. Like like what could be done for him in the first century? There's there's nothing that can be done medically for him. He he can't get to the Mayo Clinic and get a, a surgery or get into a rehab program, some kind of a treatment center. Nothing can be done physically for him. And I start to think about What it would have been like day after day To just even think about His purpose in life I mean we wrestle with that Why am I here? What is my life about? How did he answer that question? Why am I here? I wonder if there were Those dark moments And some of you have had those Same dark moments where maybe He was asking himself Do I even want to be here? Do I wanna even go on living? Maybe it'd be better if I just ended it all. I mean, he's gotta be thinking, there is no way for me to contribute to society. The only way that I'm even gonna make it to tomorrow, if someone has the goodness in their heart to maybe drop a few coins on my mat so that I can live and eat for another day. If there was ever a candidate For hopelessness in this world It was him It was absolutely him Mark wants us to know something else His whole life Everything about him Is defined by his condition It's so interesting Mark doesn't even tell us What his name is He's not Jim Or Steve Or Dan They just call him The paralyzed man. His condition defines him, even his name. Imagine, if you can, in the first century, the shame that would be experienced because they they had a belief. Not everybody, but oftentimes they believed that when things like this happened to you, it was because you did something wrong and God was punishing you. Some of you think that as well about your own life. But that was so common in the first century. People would walk by and they would be wondering, I wonder what he did to deserve that. I wonder what someone in his family did to deserve that. And if you can, imagine that mat lowered down on the ground in this packed room. How vulnerable would you feel? Every eye is on you, helpless, Hopeless, everyone wondering, what is Jesus going to do? As he lays there, thinking about his condition, if you had to answer the question, what was the deepest need of this man? You'd just be thinking, Bob, it's obvious. You just described it in detail. He's paralyzed. He needs Jesus to change his life. He needs Jesus to heal him. But if Jesus asked him, how do you want me to pray for? Did this man see his deepest need? I don't think so because of what Jesus said to him. Jesus bends down. I would love to know how this scene unfolded. But I just kind of imagine Jesus kneeling down, and just because of the compassion and the tenderness of Jesus, I just imagine that he held his face, and he looked at him, and he said, dear son, your sins are forgiven. And I imagine those words hit with a thud in that room. That is not what... Anyone was expecting, son, your sins are forgiven. I'm thinking about those four guys. They're probably on the edge of the roof looking down, saying, what? What What did he just say? Son, your sins are forgiven? Jesus, don't you see what's happening here? Don't you see what his need is? Jesus, everyone has been talking about your compassion. You are not being compassionate, Jesus. You're not Meeting his need. Was this just a colossal oversight on the part of Jesus? Did he he just miss it? If you know anything about Jesus, you know that he was like four chess moves ahead of everyone that was in that room. He knows that the greatest problem that this man has goes way beneath His physical condition. And what Jesus wants this man to know. And what he wants those four friends looking down through the roof to know. What he wanted everyone in that room to know. And what he wants everyone in this room to know. Everyone that would ever read this story, he wants them to know the greatest need that this man had was to have his sin dealt with. Jesus is looking from the outside and he's saying, I understand your problems, young man. I have seen your suffering. And hang on, I'm gonna get to that. But please realize, the deepest need in a person's life is never, it's never our suffering. It's our sin. We think that the greatest challenges in our life are our circumstances. And Jesus is saying, no, you gotta go deeper, friends, it's not your circumstances, it's your sin. We don't like to talk about sin sometimes, but Jesus does. He cares about talking it, talking about it because he is our good shepherd and he knows what sin does to us, that sin steals and kills and destroys and he loves us too much. Not to talk to us directly about the deepest needs that we have in life. The need to have our sin dealt with. Now just to be really, really clear, there's a couple of ways we can think and talk about sin in the Bible. Sometimes when we think about sin, we just think about these sins that we do. These things that we do that are bad things. Lust, lying, greed, anger, bitterness, jealousy, All those kinds of things things that we do. But Jesus wants us to know that our sin actually goes deeper than just the things that we do. It goes to the depth of our heart, and it stands in a posture that's actually against God. Sin, the brokenness in us, the fallenness in it that is in every one of us, leads us to this place where we rebel against God. And we live our life, we want to live our life without reference to God. We want to decide how to live our life. We want to decide what's best for us. We want to live in our way and not necessarily according to the will and the word of God. And the outflow of that posture that rebels against God are the things that we do. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about our deepest Problem. So when he's there talking to this young man and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's not cold. It's not callous. It is calculated. Out of his kindness and grace, Jesus helped this man realize that if I heal your body, and I'm going to do that, but if that's the only If that's the only thing I do, you might think to yourself, my life is going to be so much better. Everything is going to be great from here on out. There's going to be an immediate euphoria. But Jesus knows, wait a couple months, maybe four months, suffering and circumstances in this world are going to find you again. Jesus doesn't wanna just deal with the outside circumstances of our life. He wants to go to the deep places. He wants to deal with our sin. See, we think that our deepest needs are circumstantial, but Jesus always says our deepest needs are spiritual. We need to be changed from the inside out. We need to be transformed. We need to be changed. We need to have a brand new identity and that's what he does for this young man he says you are my son and your sins are forgiven that means who you are at your very core has fundamentally changed you have a new relationship a new relationship to me you have a new family you belong to me ultimately that's what jesus wants to do with every person on this planet that we would come into that kind of a relationship with him. He doesn't want to just deal with the circumstantial issues of our life, even though he says, bring those to me, he cares about them. But he doesn't want to just polish the outside of our life when there's things inside of us that are broken, that need to be dealt with. And the evidence that this is true in us is that every one of us, we don't always take that new identity That Jesus gives us as his son, as his daughter, and build our life on it. We think that there's something else. If I just have this, that's gonna make my life okay. That is gonna make my life better. The problem is is that we're trying to make something other than Jesus our Savior. All right, that's the paralyzed man. Let's get a little bit personal. I'm going to try to move a little bit from preaching to meddling. What about your sin? What about my sin? When you think about the deepest needs that you have before a holy God, where does that rank? Do you see that as your deepest need? If you were laying on a mat in front of Jesus, as vulnerable as that man was, and Jesus said, how can I pray for you? What do you want? What would you say? Jesus would want us to say, I want you to deal with my sin. I want to be different. I want to be changed. Now, I want to make a a little bit of a distinction here when we're talking about sin and how Jesus deals with our sin. There's a biblical word, that we call justification. And let me explain what that means. When we come into a relationship with Jesus, and the only way that we can ever enter that relationship with Jesus is by faith, by putting our trust, putting our dependence, not in ourselves but on what Jesus did for us, his death in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. We bow our knee to him, We lift our life to him. We make him our savior and our Lord. We start to revolve our life around him. We are justified. We are made right. God made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When that happens, when that transaction happens, for any person, all of your sin is taken care of forgiven, all of your sins in the past, all of the things in the present, and even all of the sins that you're going to commit in the future, all of them are taken care of by Jesus' death on the cross. But there's another word, that's justification, but there's another word called sanctification. It's the process where we partner with God as he begins to reveal sin in our life. We actively partner with him by repenting of our sin Turning from it, rooting it out Being willing to kill that sin in our life So it doesn't kill us It's called sanctification How does Jesus want to deal with your sin? Because Jesus is the good shepherd He wants to deal with your sin Because he knows what sin does In and through your life It shatters relationships. It distorts our thinking so that we think foolishly, we act foolishly, we make bad choices, we act in evil and destructive ways. And oftentimes those create the difficult circumstances in our life. Jesus wants us to deal decisively with our sin. Kill it before it kills you. Our greatest need is to have our sin dealt with. And that's why the scriptures tell us Monitor what's happening in your inner life. Guard your heart. Guard your thoughts. Pay attention to the things that are going through your mind. Take every thought captive to make them obedient to Christ. Because, friends, it's those unseen, unspoken, hidden parts of us that has the power to derail us in our relationship with God and our relationship with people and our ability to influence other people for the kingdom of God. I just feel like God has asked me to share a story. Sometimes I love this, but most of the time I hate it because he just wants to talk about things in me. I'd worked on this sermon all week, and Friday morning I spent some time with some close friends of mine, and I was just kind of unpacking what I would call like kind of the circumstantial challenges in my life you know, this is hard, this is hard, this is, these are things that are causing me to be overwhelmed. One of the guys in the group, he looked at me and he said, well, what do you want us to do? What can we do for you? And it was just kind of one of those questions again where it's like, ah, I don't know. I don't really know what it is that I want you to do for me. Because I don't know what my deepest need is. And I don't know what prompted him A little bit later to circle back in that conversation And he said I want to ask you another question And he said I'm just going to be as direct as I can He just said is there anything hidden in your life Is there anything hidden in your life That you need to bring into the light And as I sat there everything in me wanted to just say Nope I'm good got it Everything is just fine with me But it was so interesting to me, even reflecting back, like, what even caused him to ask that? But I'll just tell you what was going on in me. Not only did I not want to answer the question, God immediately brought something to my mind. And then I just, like this flood of just thinking about this sermon. Am I willing to deal with the sin in my life? Am I willing to put it out there on the table with my friends? And it was just one of those moments where God's Spirit was saying, do you really Believe what you preach And I just got to that place where I says guys here it is Here's the challenge that I know is wreaking havoc in my life And I want your help and I want to deal with it I'll tell you right then that it was not easy to say those things because there's this like piece of You just don't want to talk about your sin with other people There was that, that piece of shame that I felt but that also felt an absolute freedom. Like there was just something about getting it out there. Just like saying the words. And then just sitting with them and you say, like, like what's your plan? Like, like How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to allow God to pour into that in your life? And not that it was easy, but there was freedom. We've got to deal with sin in our life because that's my deepest need and it's your deepest need as well. Where does God want to deal with sin in your life, just ask him. Some of you, I don't even, you don't even have to ask because he's already telling you. You know what it is that you have to move away from right now. But Jesus wants you to know, I'm enough. I'm enough to deal with anything that you bring in to the light with me and with others. I am enough. I can meet your deepest need. There's a second kind of thread of this story that I just love, and I feel like the, kind of the logical connection from what I just shared would be to say this. If the greatest need that you have, the greatest need that anyone on this planet has is to have our sin dealt with, to be brought to the feet of Jesus, what is the greatest thing that you could do for another person in this world? And the answer is this. Bring them To the feet of Jesus. Where there's hope for them to deal with the deepest need that they have. That's why in this story, I there's heroes in this story. These four guys that lowered Jesus down through this roof. These are heroes to me. They were willing to do anything that it took to get their friend to Jesus. I want to be like them. I don't want to just hold them off as, as heroes. I want to be like them in my life. Someone that's just, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. I mean, think about that story. I mean, I, I don't know what the circumstances were necessarily that got them to bring their friend. They'd probably been hearing about Jesus and thinking, let's go check this out. But someone in that group had to be thinking, if it's true what we're hearing about Jesus We can't just think about us. We've got to think about our friend. What if it could be his day to be healed? What if it would be his day to be given hope? I mean, logistically, it was going to be way more challenging for them to get to where Jesus was, having to carry their friend, but they're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their friend. What can we do to get him there? And I'm sure just like the rest of us They had a busy schedule Their lives probably didn't have a lot of margin in it I mean, their kids had soccer games They had work meetings Just like everyone else They're going to be like us later today Trying to work on our NCAA tournament bracket Lots of things going on Both of those brackets, by the way Include the Montana State women And the Montana State men Very exciting Way to go, Danny and Trish That is very awesome I digress. They get to the house. It's packed. I mean, all they see is this flood of people coming out the door. I just wonder what was going on in their heart. Like, man, this was such a great idea, but now it seems like everything is lost. What are we going to do? They just said, we're not going to be stopped. I imagine these, these four guys, they huddle up, and they're thinking, okay, anybody got an idea? And one of them, there's always an outside-the-box thinker, those creatives in every group, said, "I, I think we should get up on the roof and dig a hole down. And the guy that's more like me is like, any other ideas? Any other ideas that we could do? But they just say, no. We are gonna do whatever it takes. And they know four of a kind beats a full house, and we are gonna beat the full house. Some of you poker players got that. They decided nothing going to stop them. So they get their friend up on the roof and they start digging a hole in the roof. Don't you just love that? Anything, anything to get someone an opportunity to meet and have Jesus meet their needs. I mean, this isn't evangelism. This is evangelism. They're ripping people's houses apart. I want to be like that. I want to have a passion to get people at the, feet of the Jesus, at the feet of Jesus that says, I'll stop at nothing. Jesus looked at them and what they were doing. And I love this. It says, he saw their faith. What did he see? He saw action. Faith biblically. It's not just something that we believe. It's not just something. That we, faith carries action. That's why James would say, you say you believe, I'll show you. That I have faith I'll show you that I believe by what I do Faith has action Does your faith have action Does my faith have action If you were on trial For your faith Having action Would there be enough evidence to convict you Yes There is a life of action But it's easy It would have been easy to be those guys And see obstacles To getting people to Jesus It's easy for me To see obstacles A hundred reasons not to get involved In helping people get to Jesus Because we don't have time right? Nobody has enough time I don't know what to say I might get rejected I don't want to offend anybody It might make me uncomfortable We can come up with a thousand Obstacles But Jesus says Move toward people Love people And get them to my feet I've just seen in my life, oftentimes the greatest obstacle for me is just my own reluctance to get involved. But am I going to hold up my life and just say, God, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, would you give me an opportunity to help people come to know who you are? This last week, I had the opportunity to spend some time in Arizona. And where my friends live, there's a, a grill, a eating place that has a patio on it that overlooks the golf course. And I just like to go there to to think and to read and to to journal. Well, I was there, and uh, it's kind of a retirement place. And so there was this this grass, this bunch of grass that was out there, and there was a rousing game of cornhole going on there, a tournament. That's what was that's what was going on. So I'm I'm kind of like over watching uh, this cornhole tournament, but I'm there reading and journaling. Well, over to my left is this group of people. Uh, having a great time. I'll just say that. They're, they're drinking adult beverages, and they are having a great time. Well, they see me over there, and they, and they start kind of bantering with me, kind of joking with me a little bit, like, what are you doing? Are you scouting the cornhole teams? Are you a, a professional cornhole scout that's looking for talent out there? And so we kind of bantered with them. This was going back and forth for a while. And then a woman that was on the very Far side of the group And I'm just sitting there with my iPad and a journal I don't have my Bible She just stops And with a little bit of disdain in her voice She goes You're not a preacher, are you? <laughs> and I just tell you Everything in me By the way that she said it Did not want to raise my hand And say, yes, I'm a preacher But I did I said, actually I am I don't, I don't know what kind of a preacher vibe I was given off But this started a unique conversation because immediately people were like, oh, hey, we're really sorry about the language. We're really sorry about the, you know, hey, you know, like like, in a sad way, I just thought immediately they thought that I was judging them, that all I had been doing this whole time was criticizing internally who they were and what they were doing. But it was interesting to just keep having a conversation with them and They were having fun, and the guy that was closest to me, one of the gals says, well, I don't know if you do confession, but that guy needs a lot of time with you. (laughs) So we're just bantering. But then ultimately, just kind of settled down. But the guy that was closest to me just started to ask me questions. Like, tell me a little bit about your church. Tell me a little bit about your denomination. And I'm not the story, I'll just tell you right now, it doesn't end in someone bowing their knee and coming to faith in Jesus. But as I left that, I just thought about that what went in my heart when they just said, you're not a preacher, are you? And so much in me wanted to say n- no because I just wanted to relate, wanted to fit in. But just to see, I, I'm just hopeful that just one little action, interaction, probably over 30 minutes, might just change a heart just a little bit. Like maybe people that follow Jesus are okay. Sometimes I believe that we make getting people to the feet of Jesus much more difficult than it needs to be. I want to read a quote from Bob Goff from his book, Everybody Always, I Love This. Here's what he's talking about in terms of loving people to Jesus. He says, we can make loving people a lot more complicated than Jesus did. Every time I try to protect myself by telling somebody about one of my opinions, God whispers to me, and asks about my heart Why are you so afraid? Who are you trying to impress? Am I really so insecure That I surround myself Only with people who agree with me? When people are flat wrong Why do I appoint myself To be the sheriff To straighten them out? Burning down others' opinions Doesn't make us right It makes us arsonists God's end is has always been the same. He wants our hearts to be his. He wants us to love the people near us and love the people that we've kept far away. To do this, he wants us to live without fear. We don't need to use our opinions to mask our insecurities anymore. Instead, God wants us to grow love in our hearts and then cultivate it acre by acre in this world. We'll become in our lives What we do with our love Those who are becoming love They don't throw people Off of roofs They lower them Through roofs instead Who in your life Needs to be brought to the feet of Jesus I've prayed before this That God would just even on the screen of your mind Right now bring someone to mind And this is what I want to ask you to do If God brings someone to your mind Ask this question What's my next step? How could I move to, it doesn't have to be magnanimous. What would be a simple next step toward that person? We need to be people whose lives are about getting people to the feet of Jesus. And Mark, as we close this section, I just want to remind us a couple things that happened in that story where Mark reminds us Jesus can meet our deepest needs. When he said, son, your sins are forgiven, they accused him of blaspheming because he was being irreverent toward God because he was claiming that he could do something that only God could do. But Jesus, in his statement, was saying, without saying it directly, I am God, and I can forgive sins. Jesus has the power and the authority to deal with the sin in your life. But not only that, he was willing to become the means, the means To deal with your sin When he was asked the question Or he actually asked the question Kind of a riddle Which is easier to say Son your sins are forgiven Or get up Get off your mat And go home He's thinking that people are thinking It's easier just to say Your sins are forgiven Because there's there's really no proof How do we know that that happened It seems easier or harder To say get up and walk Because there's proof of it. But Jesus said, so that you will know that the man, that I have the authority to forgive sins, I will cause him to stand up and walk. What Jesus is saying is forgiving your sins is not easy. And it's not gonna be easy for me. Commentators say that this is Jesus casting a shadow toward the end of his ministry. And he's letting people know at the end of his earthly ministry... He's going to lay down his life. He's going to take upon himself the sin of the world, your sin, my sin. And the invitation of Jesus to them, to me, to you, is to come receive what it is, the forgiveness of sin. The deepest need that you have is to have Jesus deal with your sin, and Jesus wants you to know, I am enough. I'm going to pray here in just a second, but I just want to talk to maybe some of you that you've never made that kind of a decision to put your faith in Jesus the way that I've talked about, to make him your king, to make him your Lord, to make him your savior. You've never bowed your knee to him. You never dropped everything to follow him. I want you to do that. I'm going to pray here in just a second. And if the things that I'm praying express the desires of her, I just want you to pray Along with me Give your life to him Don't wait Just like the paralytic this was his day Today might be your day Don't let it go by Jesus we come before you And we just say that You are the only one that could meet our deepest need And our deepest need Is to have our sins forgiven before you Jesus thank you That you died on the cross You shed your blood To pay the penalty For my sin And your blood covers over My sin Thank you for what you did for me Jesus today I say thank you by giving you my life I want to make you the Lord of my life I want to make you the king of my life I want to drop everything I want to follow you I want to be all in with you Jesus, thank you for making that possible for me. And we pray these things in Jesus' powerful and resurrected name. And all God's people said, amen. I just want to invite you, if you made a decision like that, I've got another invitation to you. Alex talked about it during our hosting time. Be baptized. The invitation is repent of your sin and be baptized. Make a public declaration of a new identification. You now have a new identity in Jesus. Use the QR code that's on the chair back in front of you. Sign up to be baptized with us on Easter. You won't regret it. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.